0: Blob Talk Radio Another day Another chance Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Riding the Wave. I'm Mark Healy, the Wave's editor-in-chief, Rockaway's newspaper since 1893. It's Election Day 2018, so New York State Assemblywoman Stacey Pfeffer-Amato stopped by the Wave this morning, and we sat down, we talked about her reelection bid, and without further ado, here's Assemblywoman Stacey Pfeffer-Amato. Okay, good morning, everyone. We're speaking... With This is our Election Day special, pretty much. Uh, we're going to play it the day before Election Day, but um, obviously this is the last moment that um, we're going to get to talk to Assemblywoman Stacey Pfeffer-Amato uh, before Election Day. So, um, Stacey, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome. Thank you for having me. Um,
0: I'm, I'm going to try to do a better job uh, than the last interview because the sound was crappy, so I'm going to use this uh, as a microphone. Um so that people can hear the questions as well as the answers. The first thing that, obviously, uh, Stacey is running for re-election, um, and before we get to the reasons why you should be re-elected, talk about your first... And I know we did this a little bit in the beginning when you announced that you were running for re-election, but just give me some highlights of what you felt like your first year was.
1: Well, first, I... Even before I talk about it, I have to say thank you for everyone who has been supporting me, and I I want to thank you, Mark. I think you bring a great conversation to the people in Rockaway. But uh, the first two years, I say the last two years, two years since I ran, and um, I think that I worked very hard to bring government to the people. And I did that by, A, being everywhere and showing up at every meeting possible, but creating a team of people in my office that are – taking in any type of um, concern, complaint, I hate to use the negative, um, and question that comes to the office, and being a great constituent service um, department, basically, for this community. So people have a resource to go to, which should be my office.
0: When I think about, you know, some of the stuff, and I I went out of my way to mention this at the debate between uh, Senator Adavo and Tom Sullivan, uh, was um, the state support, you know, from the Senate, for uh, the bill that you passed in the Assembly to, uh, you know, finally get rid of, you know, the cross-bay toll, uh, the cross-bay bridge toll. And the reason I brought it up is because I really wanted to see what, you know, uh, the people running for Senate, uh, how they were going to convince their colleagues uh, to pass the bill so that, you know, it could be something that uh, really could benefit uh, you know, this community, and, you know, not just from, from a from a monetary standpoint, but also from an economic standpoint, you know, bring more business in, uh, bring more tourists in. However, I don't know if you remember, but that night I also asked uh, the question about some of the feedback that we had gotten uh, from some of the people in the community, which still doesn't make very much sense to me, but I'm sure that you've heard, I'm sure you maybe you've heard some of the same where people are actually Hoping that it doesn't pass. I mean, have you heard anything like that?
1: I guess I heard rumbles in the community. You know, when you're attending meetings of, um, if there's no toll, everyone's going to come in. Uh, You know, will there be parking? Will there be services for everybody? I think there's just a concern of change. But what's happened after Sandy is that this community has changed, and we are growing. And the basis of the intra-borough toll on the Cross Bay Bridge, is wrong. So I think those voices are very small. Um, if you remember, the 23rd Assembly District does go all the way to Ozone Park. And when I'm attending all those meetings and um, events or just doing my normal business of you know, shopping, people are coming and saying, I love this because they want to come to Rockaway. And I think people traditionally always did come to the beach. You always hear those stories. But now, when you're reading about the great restaurants and the great um, uh, flea markets and from you know from Breezy um, or Reese, you should say to the other end, people want to come here, so they want that toll gone. They don't want to think about paying to come to another the same borough. And in the other, the flip side of that is saying, Where should that money go? And I believe it should go in the businesses um, and the people investing in our community. And I say it all the time to those in um, Ozone Park and Howard Beach it's a tax if you go into the beach, which is free. You're paying that toll and that's a tax, and I think it's wrong. I also think that the Marine Parkway Bridge, in relative terms, is priced, not in proportion. So the conversation that we keep bringing to bring all the tolls to conversation is about toll equity. And I think we spoke about this before, that if you can go to Manhattan from Brooklyn for free on the Brooklyn Bridge, and you can go to Manhattan and Queens on the Queensboro Bridge for free, how are we paying? for a small toll, say, in the Marine Parkway Bridge, which is basically our constituency paying to go to work. So that toll should be um, lessened in proportion of all the other tolls. So there's a bigger conversation out there. And that's what I'm doing. I'm bringing the concerns in my community. Look, the Marine Parkway is a hot mess right now. We get emails all morning and to talk about that work, and people are paying every day for a bridge that's taking them 40 minutes now to get over a bridge. And we have to bring, those are the concerns that I bring to Albany when the MTA conversations come up, when we talk about funding. And I stand with the voice of my people to say, it's very unfair in my peninsula. It's You know, talk about that. And that's where we're bring, bringing those voices and those concerns forward.
0: One thing that never changes, and I'm glad that you brought that up about, you know, the commute and people commuting and people uh, transportation and and, you know, of course that always drives the, you know, the question to infrastructure, right? And uh, I, I really feel, and I think that um, more so probably here than almost every other place in, in, in the city, especially Queens, is that the more people that keep telling us that, you know, for every project that's being developed now, uh, there's less and less parking, less and less parking. And you look at Dayton and you look at some of these other places that have plenty of parking, which is the way it should be, because people shouldn't be forced not to drive in a, in a place where the infrastructure is crumbling right before our eyes. How can you, um, you know, how can you be more, because, because and, and, and I'll, I'll say this again, I, you know, and I said this to uh, your opponent, your GOP challenger, Matt Piccarino, I'm going to say it to you too. Uh, I know that it's probably not accurate to say that the state is the city's boss. I I know that it's really not. But I do think that the state is a bigger uh, entity. I think that you exert more pressure. I think that as a state legislator that you have power over monies that are diverted to the city. And I think that um, what I want to know is how can you improve on that ability because you already do. I know, I know that you... I've said this before. You do stand up to de Blasio. <coughs> you do stand up to uh, the governor when you have to. Because you, you have... You've taken the torch from your, your predecessors. Uh, both Phil Goldfeder and, and your mom, Audrey Pfeffer. We're willing to... We're always willing to be Rockaway's representative first. And... A Democrat or a Queen's Democrat second so the very long question uh, basically can you improve upon that ability to exert pressure on the city to get more of these projects done and up to speed
1: I feel like you're looking at my whiteboard in my office right <laughs> I have a whiteboard and I kind of put the thoughts you know my random thoughts where do I want to you know what do I want to approach next and I think over the last two years, you know, it's like learning your voice. Not that I haven't been a strong advocate in the community, but learning how you can apply it. And one thing is, yes, I think state trumps city in a way. But I think a lot of these city projects are um, we're not assess you know we're not accessible to. You know, we have to say, hey, I'd like to be on that mailing list. I don't get notified for city meetings or meetings that are being held by um, city agencies and things like that. But one thing that I already committed to once tomorrow comes and goes, is that I want to approach the parking challenges and be a stronger voice to opposition, be in opposition to what's going on. I'm not sure if I could stop what's already was in the works, but to continue to fight that buildings that are being built have to have more parking. Or we have to look at some of the spaces that we have on this peninsula and create parking. And let's just take the 50s, for example, um, the beachfront land that's really, there's no infrastructure there. But what if there's parking lots? So if people visiting this beach know they could park there and then line bike themselves to wherever they want to go. you know. So at least there's, in the seasonal traffic there's places to park and then there's places to expand to. But as the people who are investing in this community, meaning that they're moving in if they're buying a condo, uh, choosing to come here to rent an apartment, I think parking has to come because in this community we do rely on cars to get us to... Um, Sometimes to get us to work because we might drive to Sheepshead Bay to catch a train that's easier. We might drive to Rockway Boulevard to catch the train. So we do choose cars in this community. Yes, yes, there's a new wave of people coming in. Wave, I love how I just used that. Um, There's a new wave of people coming in or have been coming in that don't choose to have cars. And so therefore they have invested in knowing that we are a transportation desert. But that doesn't mean it's not going to change. And sometimes we're changing we have to make plans for the future, and who knows what 20 years is gonna look like. So um, having a voice in the state, though, is saying, like I did last year when we were uh, the governor wanted congestive pricing, and I said, I will not support congestive pricing unless the Cross Bay Bridge and Marine Parkway Bridge considerations are in that conversation, and that's my job. So every conference that we have, um, every group that's lobbying, if it's Riders, Alliance, and everyone comes to me, and want to have a conversation about congestive pricing and why we needed to have it, I would say, and do you have the Cross Bay Bridge in your in your notes? And they'd say, what's the Cross Bay Bridge? Oh, so that's where I took the opportunity to educate and they could scratch their head and go back. But I'm not gonna have a conversation of what's good for, which I think is Manhattan focused on, unless you consider my of borough. And that's where advocating and standing up and being that voice comes into. I'm not even gonna have a, you know, any more than a 30-second meeting with you unless you tell me that you even know what the Cross Bay Bridge is. And there's so many people that don't. And that's something else that I've been talking about is that part of, I think, the getting it passed in this Assembly was working and talking to my colleagues on both sides of the aisle and educating everyone about this unfair toll, inequity toll. And um, the more people that got um, educated to that fact were supportive. And that's what grew and grew and grew. So then when people were coming to my office or talking to me off the floor, they'd say, yes, yes, we know about the Cross Bay Bridge. Good. I hope I'm annoying. I think that I'm successful. I could sleep better at night knowing that I've annoyed you that much that the Cross Bay Bridge comes off your lips. And that's where I think weighing in being a state representative to the city. But we do trumpet, and I think that's something um, I have to look further on um, to where I can lay that voice. Unfortunately, in Queens... Even as a uh, contingency, you know, the North is against putting a toll on the Queensboro Bridge. So, even as a Queens delica- uh, Delicacy, excuse Deleg- Queens group, I'm having a speech problem this morning. Um, we kind of have to get one voice. But congestive pricing sounds great to raise money. But another part that we talked about was raising money and giving it to the outer boroughs. Because this whole conversation is about Manhattan. And we know that in Queens, our bus system is horrible. I mean, don't even get me started about, um, your Cross Bay Boulevard with what they've done to it. Um, but we need better bus service. So when we're talking about creating more funding, how much are we getting in the outer boroughs? And they'll say, oh, it's for the whole system. Absolutely not. So we took a stand that some of the extra money that they were charging to taxis, that that money goes to an outer borough fund to start creating a fund that services outer boroughs. So that's how we used our collective voice to start advocating for Queens and, again, Brooklyn and the other ones. But certainly Queens as a whole, we did get together that way, to talk about making sure money comes into Queens. And then we have to pull it as far south as we can get it.
0: Um, this is, uh, you know, and I, I made a big deal about it at the, at the debate. It's
1: a big deal to us. I already know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> uh, it's a big deal. I know it's a big deal to you. But, you know, I, 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 I feel it strongly because I think that if you've never been a waiter or waitress or bartender... Worked, You know, look, first of all, there's a reason why people choose those professions, Mm -hmm. Um, job flexibility and and being able to make a a large amount of money in a small amount of time so that you can pursue other things. I mean, no one, very few people, you know, choose to become a waiter, waitress or bartender as a career move, you know, and, and there is, there is people that do because they want to get into that business. But I'm just saying that um, the tip credit is something that uh, I've asked uh, the governor's office. I've, I haven't gotten any response. Um, I, 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 you know, I know that this community certainly cares about it, and I, I, I it's kind of a softball I'm throwing you. But I guess what I want you to, I know because I know that you support it, because I know that that you know you've done it before, so you certainly have that perspective. The question I'm asking to you is, Is what have you had conversations uh, with anyone uh, that is on the other side of this, and have they given you any justification other than the folding in of all these other things to try to make it seem like it's a good idea to to give waiters and waitresses and bartenders the $15 minimum wage instead of getting tips?
1: So I, I think that's a great question because the intention, the conversation that's going on now, it's waiters and waitresses, car washers, and nail salons. They're all grouped into this conversation. So there's the failure. Again, a lot of things, it's funny, I was looking in the back of the ballot for the, some of the uh, proposals, it's grouped together. It's a whole mess of ideas in one question. That's the failure right there. That's why I think things. You know, that's why you can't support it. Car washes, absolutely. Seen a lot of information on that. They they don't get minimum wage. They're a tipped agency. There's rules in place. There was actually a conversation that they should be unionized, and some some of them are unionized. Take them out. Nail salons, again, same thing. Um, working for tips, not getting paid. Laws in place in the in the New York State labor law. There's laws in place that if they're not making that minimum wage, and I know you've gone into um, full explanation if you're not making up to the fifteen or thirteen dollars minimum wage the your employer is supposed to make that difference. Again, laws in place. And then there's the restaurant business. If companies or, or small businesses are not following the law, then we should be focusing on how to have them follow the law. Or how do they get penalized if they're not following the law. So how are we educating the worker what the rules are? How are we penalize and showing that we've Unfortunately, we've we've, um, fined or closed down businesses that are treating their workers um, like garbage because that's who we are. We want to stand for the worker. But to put those categories together, I don't think it's fair. So the people that I've met that support this, I think, are more from the um, nail salon and the car washer agency. And then there are some in the restaurant business being taken advantage of. But the majority, so if the state's doing their job, the majority of people want to keep the credit and the, the model that's there because those people do make good money. And you were say, alluding to this, that there are people who choose to be professional service servers, and I guarantee they make more money than you and I make yearly because they treat it as a profession and they do very well at it. So they already know that they're going to be making less. But I sat in those hearings, hearing all the people have great companies Um, small businesses and a couple of the chains that do great um, jobs um, representing their workers and giving their workers their rights and making sure that they're taken care of and they're happy. And then there's a group that, the flexibility, why it exists. But I think as a state um, representative, my concern is breaking it down. Where are we failing as a state if the laws on the books are not doing their job? And do those laws have to be updated because they're so old? and don't apply and we can't protect the worker because that's what that was about and we need to not change the law and a lot of times we change laws for those who are breaking them. I think this one is like a can of worms and now it's open so let's look at where we're failing um, those those employees who are not being protected. But it's grown into this conversation of of sexual harassment no. and Um, abuses, and I think, again, are we not educating people of what their rights are as an employee? But I was very proud as a woman in the hearings listening to how many employers spoke up and said, we've had training, we've fired people. Um, Again, I don't want to call locally um, the businesses that are there, but all have come to me, different businesses, not just the main one you always refer to, that said, oh my God, we fired that guy once when we heard he treated, again, it's not, it's also men and women being harassed. Uh, spoke inappropriately to my wait staff, got rid of that guy. People stood up for the workers, certainly in this community, which again, where my voice is. So I'm not worried about the businesses in Rockaway. But again, there's so many places that harass it. We have to educate people of where they can call, where they can get help, if their employer or their boss is not doing the right thing. But changing a whole um, pay scale and structure in this manner I think is dangerous and will affect businesses because they will be very hard to get employees. Um, there's a lot of places that actually pay for room and board because um, that's the model that works for them to keep their wait staff happy, um, regular, showing up because they're in maybe a unique setting like in Montauk. That was always the, what happened out there to get a solid wait staff. But in this community, I actually think we need to do more because a lot of people want a waitress and waiter um, and they don't be service people, and they don't have the experience. And I think there's ways to do mentorships. That's another seat so on my whiteboard again, how to mentor the younger generation are going to college, how working in the service industry is great monies when you're in college. But I have been outspoken about that. I'm not going to agree to everything, and I think it's too many um, ideas in one bill and one conversation. So it, I, I'm proud I'm, I'm, to be the opposition.
0: <laughs> it, it's the same kind of cookie-cutter, dummy. I, I, You know, and I, I know I don't sound, um, you know, uh, intellectual when I say that, but it's, it's – it's, it's, and it's always people that weren't in the business, always. It's always somebody who's never waited a table. It's always somebody that's never, you know, you just don't get
1: it. Let me tell you what was scary. When I was at the hearing in Manhattan – Um, and I wanted to give testimony, I actually was the last person. I think we spoke about this. I was the last person. But it ended up being like a blessing because I sat and listened to hundreds and hundreds of people testify. What was scary was there was a group of people that weren't even from New York State. They were um, part of an organization where they bring people from outside, the same movement, and I could see where other states maybe don't protect their workers. But I think in New York we work, we try our best. And they were from out of state. They came with their overnight beds. They all peeled in. They all were signed up as a bulk. And they came in to advocate against this law to make a movement. And I don't think that's the voice of the city and the state and, and representing the people of the state. So you already felt like you're shafted. Like, who are you? Why are you here? Who is this organization behind you? But they accused everybody else of that. But, again, person after person, having a great life, a good life, Loving the flexibility, loving the money that they make, appreciating their um, – some of them were from upstate and small family-owned businesses, where there's a staff of six, and appreciating that, that um, relationship and the job that they have with their family, and they've been working there for 15, 20 years. These are great stories, so I was so happy to be the last person um, to really gain this experience and almost um, motivate me more to dig my cause in and stay on top of this issue
0: you know and, and just one last word on that uh you know it's the same it's the same mindset of people who become educators, right and they want it to, and they're talking about uh changing uh the school day, making the school day till five o'clock or six o'clock or seven o'clock, or you know not having summer vacation and all these look educators a lot of educators become educators because they want to have the same schedule as their children, you know. Uh, two-parent working households. They're they're the educator. Like in my my household, my wife's a teacher. So, yeah, I'm going to be pro-teacher, and I'm going to be pro-union for the teacher. So, you know, I get it. I get when people from an industry are going to defend or be, you know, against anything that's going to change. This this is not something that's going to change it a little bit. This is something that's going to impact the industry, you know, and there's not going to be any coming back from it because all these mom and pop restaurants are going to close. All these people that count on summer jobs at Bungalow Bar or Tyrock or wherever, you know. Uh, I mean, I've worked everywhere too. I've worked in, in, in a wedding hall, I, I bartended at a golf course, I, you know, waited tables at a steakhouse. So, you know, um, I know what what will happen. What's going to happen is is that, you know, these restaurants are going to close because they can't afford, you know, all these people are going to lose their jobs and we're going to get a whole bunch of chain restaurants. That's what's going to wind up happening. Anyway, okay, so enough on that. Um, one last thing for me, uh, and, and I didn't get to ask this during the debate. Somebody came, came, came up after me and asked me this question, and... Was was surprised that no one had put this question uh, in there in their emails to the editor. So I'm going to ask it from you because I don't remember your position on this. Um, the the uh, the Williams pipeline uh, extension that uh, is being proposed that uh, I believe the governor still has an opportunity to veto it or or to not veto it. I don't think that any final decision's been made on whether or not it's going to be implemented. Um, I asked, I've asked a couple of other elected officials that uh, kind of punted the question. Um, and, you know, I can see both sides, you know, we've tried as, you know, the wave has really tried to see both sides of the issue. Uh, we've allowed Williams to opine on it. We've allowed, uh, Surfrider and some of these other, uh, organizations, uh, you know, saying, uh, Saint energy, a lot of these other organizations, that have protested here the community here has protested against the pipeline where do you stand on it and and what do you think is going to happen
1: so I'm how do you say it like so I'm against the pipeline at, at this point right when I first took when I first took when I first was elected to the assembly and all that that was like some of the first things that came pipeline and from both sides right so I understand both sides they, they The campaign from the other side is that we need more uh, gas to get into Brooklyn. It will give more ability for the, I guess, the numbers that they know are going to increase that need that kind of flow into Brooklyn and the other boroughs. But as I really take on, um, you know, really get into the weeds of of this job, we have to protect our environment, bottom line. I, I really feel, really, since Hurricane Sandy, myself as a family, I think we've changed when we look at global warming and even if it's just simple recycling and doing better and, you know, as we're you know, bringing water bottle, you know, not using as many water bottles and those type of behaviors as a family, um, I think we've all taken them on now and realized what a precious commodity um, our beautiful ocean is. But I'm against the pipeline. In a community sense of what we are for here, of what we see as our jewel, we have to protect our ocean. However, you have to also realize that when we talk about wind and the type of um, construction or work that's going to go into to bring wind farms to a community, some of that work is similar. You know, we always have to be careful. Some of the work is similar of what they're going to do in the ocean, and I think the job at hand then is to say what's the trade-off? Wind is going to be cleaner, it's going to be better. What are we going to do to offset that? Are we going to plant more um, Coral reefs, other places, what are, what's the give and take in that conversation? At the end of the day, wind will bring a longer term cleaner burn and all that. So I think everyone has to educate themselves to know it's not just about the, you know, stopping the pipeline and what it does for the long term, it goes with supporting the fracking down the line. And I've taken a stand now with SANE and all the groups that I support um, stopping the pipeline. I, I, I can only be the voices of my constituency. I think not everyone's listening to each other. I don't know if there's a compromise, so I think the way to go is to say that that we have to not support the pipeline. Well, I think that
0: and here's just my view of it. Um, the problem is is that both sides of the issue it's like uh it's like you know it's like election time, it's like campaign time right. You know, it's one thing when someone from your own party is willing to stand up and take on somebody from the same party or to criticize someone from the same party. Uh, and, and in this case, uh, you know, uh, the people who are against the pipeline, it, you know, it's all, you know, Armageddon if we have the pipeline. And the people who are for the pipeline think that wind energy is, you know, is sunshine and rainbows. And, and there are people in this community, unfortunately, uh, for every one uh, of the folks like John Signorelli, who's looking at both sides of it, who's an engineer who actually has some expertise uh, from Bell Harbor, you, know, you have a lot of other people who are just buying into the, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid for whichever position that they're supporting. So, so what I'm saying is, is that I'm not going to, I know that you are a supportive of, of protecting the environment. I get that, uh, as am I. But what experts do you lean on when you when you are trying to make a decision? Because obviously you're not an expert, and I'm not an expert. We're not
1: experts. So I'm very lucky. Uh, I would say in New York State, I should say, we are very lucky. Steve Engelbreit is the chair of the New York State um, Environmental Conservation Committee, and he's amazing. And he gets that delicate balance. So he's the person I lean on. I mean, we've had him out here looking at Jamaica Bay. He was part of the uh, Governor's continu- contingency. Um, Long Island, he's from Long Island defending what's going on out there, and I think he's the rational voice, and he has concerns about the pipeline. I do think there has to be a balance that goes on in the Atlantic Ocean. We share it with Long Island, so we have to work. There's what you talk about across the aisle, right? A lot of the colleagues from New York State Assembly are are Republican on Long Island, but I listen to what they have and their wishes and their concerns, and we have to be a collective body for the entire Atlantic Ocean. And most of us are leaning that way, that the pipeline is probably too much on to, um, too much is going to happen for the Atlantic Ocean. And, and that's where I lean. He's my expert. I go to him all the time. And as you know, there's a couple of local people and John and other people who send me tons of information. And as a small office, I will say we do our best. But before I give my opinion, which it's funny, a lot of people push, 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 but I'm not going to give that opinion as the state legislator until I vet it and really look at it, or does my opinion truly matter? Does it make it, like you're saying, the popular, yes, she's on our team. Is that really mattering at the end of the day when there's 150 other assembly people have to vote when Steve brings some fantastic legislation to the state? So when there's legislation and it comes before us as a state group, that's where I look at it. I mean, there's so many things that affect so many people. Is as, a community, as a community member here, people know that I care about the environment, and I'll always lean that way, but on the state level, when it comes down to voting, it'll be a, a little deeper of a conversation, because sometimes that we were just talking about, there's multiple things put in bills, so it might be allowing the pipeline, or the governor might be considering allowing the pipeline, because B, C, D, E, F, and G are included in there, and that gives a 100 years' protection, so it's not one single thing in one single conversation. These things have well-rounded, comprehensive conversation. But we do, as you said, I agree with you, become very polarized in these decision-making processes. Well, I think
0: that uh, that's all we have time for, but uh, I definitely want to uh, thank
1: you for making the time today and definitely uh, good luck tomorrow. Thank you very much.